And uh, we just invite you into this session, wherever you might be at this particular time. Our desire is simply to reach out beyond ourselves throughout the body of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. And uh, so we greet you at this particular time. We're dealing in these sessions uh, with the reality of being in Christ, the reality of our union with Christ. Uh, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, but particularly in John 14, we've quoted time and time again uh, from verse 1 through verse 20. Verse 20 being the verse where Jesus says, And in that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Uh, the day that he was talking about was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, just shortly after he said to his disciples what he said. Uh, it, it, it isn't yet to be. It isn't yet to be fulfilled. Uh, it, it wasn't to be fulfilled two thousand years from the time that he said it, because, hun, it is the embodiment. The embodiment of our salvation. So our salvation didn't come 2,000 years after he made that statement as it is recorded in the Gospel of John. And it's not yet to come either because we are now the very body of Jesus Christ. And it is that body that we'll be talking about here in this session today. But our union with Christ is, in fact, the defining, the defining factor, in my opinion, and I think certainly in the opinion of the Scripture. Our union with Christ is the defining factor of our salvation. Now, there are many things that you could say about our salvation, much of what is said about our salvation throughout the whole church world has to do with forgiveness of sins, and there is no doubt that there is that forgiveness of sins. But our salvation is much more than that, hon. We have come from life, we have come from death unto life, and our life is Christ Himself. And that's what we're talking about. Now, for two or three years, as you know, we were looking at the feasts of the Lord that was given to Israel as a testimony of that, well, as a testimony of Jesus Christ and as a testimony of that which was to come. At that time, a testimony of that which was to come. But that which was to come, signified in the Passover, in Pentecost, in Tabernacles, in <clears throat> all of those feasts put together and gathered up together, the fulfillment of that that was promised to Israel came in Christ. 
He came to his own to present himself to his own as the fulfillment of all that their prophets had spoken of, of all that their feasts had spoken of. He presented himself. Now listen to this. He, had, he presented himself. He came to his own. His own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them giveth he power to become the sons of God. My point is, he came to Israel 2,000 years ago and presented himself as the fulfillment of their prophets, as the fulfillment of Moses, as the fulfillment of the seed of Abraham, as the fulfillment of all of the law, as the fulfillment of, the, of, of not only the law, but the prophecies, on and on and on, and yet today, 2,000 years later, it's almost unbelievable that there are those in the church world, in, <clears throat> in the religion of Christianity, who still believe and preach that much of that has not been fulfilled. Well, then Christ came for nothing. Well, well, oh no, he come, he come to make it possible that our sins, we could, be, we could have forgiveness of sins. If you can have forgiveness of sins, you've got it all. Because you can't have forgiveness of sins without having life. And I could go on and on with that. My argument is, hon, that our salvation, which is Christ, the fullness of which is found in Christ, is now come. And it's come exactly according, not to the types and shadows, because he himself came as the fulfillment of that. Our salvation is exactly as he presented himself to be. And he presented himself not only to Israel who denied him, but he presented himself to his disciples. And he did that, as you well know, at times when they were alone. And, 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 and he, he presented himself to Israel, but Israel wouldn't hear. And, and, and we, we're, we're well aware of that. What he told his disciples, that's recorded in John 14, was not for the ages yet to come before it would be completed. It was for the time in which he said it. And so that's what we've been talking about, our union with Christ. And we've been talking about that under the general type of the reality of being in Christ the reality of being in Christ. We've been brought into a relationship that he promised his disciples. In that day, speaking of the day of his coming in spirit and truth, speaking of the day of his coming, not again in flesh, but in spirit, to indwell his house, his body, which was the day of Pentecost. And it was fulfilled very shortly after 
it was said. Because what he said in John 14 and on through John 17 was just hours, just hours before the cross. And this is what we're, again, this is what we're looking at. Now, in the monthly CDs that I do and, and send to those who have requested them, uh, or those who do request them, I've been looking at the same thing. And I've been looking at uh, living on earth as in heaven, or living on earth as we are found to be in Christ. If we are in Christ, and Paul certainly says that we are, then we are to live on earth as those who are in Christ. And I've even said living on earth as in heaven. <clears throat> and you'll, you'll find out about that as we go along because this is what I want us to look at. This, what we're talking about, is not what many say living behind the veil. Or there, there, Many will say we go beyond the veil. We are living beyond the veil. No, what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> what I'm talking about here is a union with Christ. It is not living beyond the veil. It is living where there is no veil. The veil which is done away in Christ. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, and most specifically, the verse 14. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 14, which veil is done away in Christ. And that relates, of course, to Hebrews 10. He hath taken away the first that he might establish the second. And that is talking about the, 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 the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon, the whole first order of things, the type and the shadow. And he came to take away the first that he might establish the reality. Christ himself and all that is in him being the second that he's talking about there. Taking away the first that he might establish the second. You, you can find that in Hebrews 8, read it all, 9, that whole chapter, and 10. Do that. Because the Hebrew writer is saying exactly the same thing that I'm sitting here saying. He is saying all that was set forth under the old is done away and has come to be fulfilled in Christ. That Christ is what the old promised and Christ is now come. The great high priest, the greater than Moses, uh, the builder of the house of God, the Son of God Himself, whose house we are. And he just goes on and on, right on through to the fact that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that kingdom is in Christ, that you are now come to Mount Zion, and all that Mount Zion refers to. I'm talking about Hebrews. 
And, and, and you can read it from chapter 1 right on through, or you can pick up at chapter 8 and go right on through verse chapter 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. And you'll see the heart of what I'm talking about here. And Hebrews was not written for something to happen 2,000 years later or even beyond that. The Hebrew writer was declared that which had been fulfilled in Christ. And so this is what we're interested in. That glorious salvation that Je- of which Jesus was speaking, speaking when he said in that day, the coming of himself in spirit, in truth, in the day of Pentecost, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. So, this is what all of the feasts of Israel pointed to, every one of them, and this is the reality of it that is now come in Christ. So, just having said that, let's look at our union with Christ. And to do that, rather than going to the epistles, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 16, 16 through 19. Now, we're not going to finish that in this session today or in any two or maybe three sessions, but we will continue uh, in today and in, in the next session uh, and probably in the next after that, looking at Matthew 16, 16 through 19, and it is nothing less than our union with Christ. And, and he, is what, he is talking to his disciples at this time. So, in Matthew 16, if you have turned there, you can read that the question there that Jesus had asked them was, and he was, he was setting them up for a, a reality here. So, he asked them, whom do men and you're listening to men, and you're out in these communities, and, and so forth. Who, who do men say that I am? That's basically what he first said. And they answered him, you know, with things like, well, they, some say that you are uh, John the Baptist, come, come to life again. Others say that you're that prophet, and others say this, and others say that. And then he looked at those that he had called unto himself, and he said, Who do you say that I am? Now, the reason we're not going to get this done in one session is because we need to think about something in each of these verses and just think about it for a while. We'll get through these verses in time. Who do you say 
that I am. Uh, I wanted to, I knew, I wanted to turn to someplace, and I'll do it while we're, while you're watching me. Matthew 16. <clears throat> When Jesus had come to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, and they give him his answer. And verse 15, it saith to them, But whom say ye that I am? Now, hon, we could, sit, we could just think about this. Just, just think about it. Look at these scriptures. Turn there in your Bibles if you can. If not, go there later. In your, in your testimony of your salvation, because if you are born again, if you're a Christian, then I'm certain that you have a testimony to somebody. You may have a testimony to many people. I may be talking to some ministers today. We're never quite sure in total who all we're talking to, though I know that many of you are with us on a regular basis. But in, in your daily life, in your talking to your neighbor, but most particularly in speaking concerning your salvation, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? We need to think about that. It's important. It's one of the few real straight to the point questions that Christ asked his disciples. Now, I haven't gone through all of the epistles. Sometimes I just enjoy doing that or, or all of the Gospels, but I haven't gone through all the Gospels and really counted the times that he asked a very straight, pointed, non-negotiable question of his disciples. Most of the time, it would be around things that, that they could not understand, and in many cases, he was pointing them to the time that they would understand it. But here... Here he just says, but whom say ye that I am? And so it's a question for us. It's a question for me. It's a question for you. It's a question for all who serve the Lord. It's a question for all. Now, particularly, in whom Christ dwells. But it's certainly a question for those who follow after him. Whom do you say that I am? See, he's saying it, it's not like we hear so much in church and church services and in theological teachings in the religious world. We, we, we hear questions like, what church do you, to what church do you belong? Isn't that right? 
uh, what do you believe about water baptism? See, we, we have questions like so many conversations among Christian, among Christians revolve around some religious issue, some doctrine of religion, the Christian religion, the Christian religion. But that isn't what he asked them. That isn't what he asked them. But the questions that we get asked and that we ask others in order to... I had, I had a group come to my door one day. Now, we, we wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't call them Christians, but they are a religious group. And they came to my door one day, and uh, a couple of the young men got out, and, and their question was to me, uh, do you believe in the, uh, in the kingdom of God? And immediately, and I, you know, I just walked around the house. I hadn't planned on saying anything, but immediately I saw an opportunity of sharing Christ. And I told those two young men, I certainly do. Come on in the house and we'll talk about it. And in they came. And they sat down in my living room. And I never asked them a question. I never give them a chance to ask me another question. I said, since ye have asked concerning the kingdom of God... I want to talk to you about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was very simple from there to talk to them about the indwelling Son whose kingdom we now are, whose kingdom is not of this earth, not arguing with them at all, just talking to them about Christ. That went on for 15, 20 minutes. It was a good while. And they just sat there and listened. They just sat there and listened. And there was a knock on my door. And uh, in fact, the guy, you could see through the glass door, he knocked on the door, opened it, and came in. And he said, I believe I've lost two young men in here. And uh, I said, well, I found them. And just like that, and that was it. And he, and, and he just took them and left. And they'd never been back since. Now, that wasn't my intention. But, hon, see, here's my point again. When we're dealing with Christianity and being a Christian, being a Christian, and what it means to be a Christian, what questions do we ask? What is, what is the ground? What is point zero, ground zero? of our, you know, of our question or of that that we wish to say. And we have to come right back here because this is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And of all of the thousands of things He could have asked, 
but he was talking to them about what he was always talking to them about, salvation of the Lord, the very thing that he had come to accomplish. And so he looked at them, his followers, those who had at that time left everything and were following him seven days a week, you know, for three and a half years. But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Now this is going to be really important in sessions to come. The Christ. Because it means the anointed of God. The anointed of God. We'll have to deal with that sooner or later. Thou art the Christ. Notice this. The Son of the living God. And the usage of this little term, the, here, in each one of the, in each time that it's used, used three times here, has the emphasis of saying, Thou art the only Christ that there is. Thou art the one and only Christ. The word the signifies, it's the same way as I am the way, the truth, the life. There's not another one. I am the only one that there is. And that's what this little term, believe it or not, signifies when it is used in a certain way in the scriptures. And it is used that way here. Thou art the Christ, the only Christ. Thou art the only Son of the only living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then a verse that we're going to spend a lot of time with. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this rock, this confession, this confession, will I build my church, will I build my church. Now see, hon, this what I told you while I want to be talking to you about our union with Christ. This statement that the Lord makes looks right into looks right into all of the epistles that Paul writes because it is a realization that Paul has seen in the very person of the Lord Jesus. Well, we, we, we're not ready to go there yet. But what I'm telling you here is He's not talking about the church as an organization, the church as a basis of religion, the church as this, that, or the other. He's not talking about the church as a nationality. Not Jesus isn't. Upon this rock, the very ground of your confession, 
the very ground of your confession, that which only my Father could show you, that which only my Father could reveal, that ground, that rock, that is revealed and shown of my Father. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 18 will take up a good deal of our studies together. And I would have loved to jump right in it today because I've got all the notes sitting here ready to go, but I thought can't do that. We need to look at in this class because we're just moving into these things. And this is the class where I've been talking about the reality of our being in Christ and what that means. Well, we're talking about today what that means. And, and, and Jesus when he was talking here, it, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, most of the times when you would preach in Christ, you'd go to one of Paul's epistles to do it. But, hon, here it is right here. And also we'll find it again in John. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, I, and then, verse 19 this is groundwork for another lesson or two. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, hon, the kingdom of heaven is not some place we're going in the future. It is where we now are in Christ that we may give expression of that reality in and on earth. And, and he talks to them just like that. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then here is, here is a, the rest of the verse that is really misunderstood. And in so many times, I mean a good translation will clear it up. But so many times it's preached that way as well. And in, in confusion, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And I have seen preaching ministries, back years ago in my day, I have seen ministries that go around binding things. And they'd say, I bind you in Jesus' name. And now, because I have bound this here on earth, it is now bound in heaven. And, and sure enough, if you read it like, like it's translated here in the modern English, uh, it sounds a little like that's what it's saying. Uh, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And oh, that, that really gets dangerous when you think that this is something that you are given to do. We'll find that, and I'll just throw it out now, that the verse actually is saying, and we'll look into it a lot more than just a statement about it, because we'll spend some time with it. This will take us to the anointing. This will take us to the anointing, and we'll, we'll deal with that. But 
Let me read it the way it is properly translated. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be that which is bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be that which is loosed in heaven. You will speak on earth as it is in heaven. But you see, first you've got to have a, an open heaven to know. And, and, and what is the word bound and the word loose? It means acceptable and non-acceptable. What is acceptable in heaven you shall declare to be acceptable on earth. Whatever is not acceptable in heaven you shall declare it not acceptable on earth. Actually, it goes back, they understood what he was saying with regard, it goes back to the law because this is the way it was. If they lived by the law, they lived by the law, the old heaven, the old commandment, the old covenant, they lived by the law. And whatever was disallowed by the law was disallowed everywhere, was disallowed in their daily lives was disallowed on earth. If it was disallowed in the law, if it was acceptable in the law, it was acceptable in their daily lives. It was acceptable on the earth. If it was not acceptable in the law, then they could not do it on earth. They could not speak it on earth. It was just that strict. And Jesus is telling them it is the same way with the kingdom of God. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of God. So much so that whatever is loosed in heaven, you will declare that to be loosed on earth. Whatever is acceptable in heaven, you will declare that to be acceptable on earth. Whatever is not acceptable in heaven, you will declare that not to be acceptable on earth. But you see, we need to go on and look at it because... That leaves what happened in so many doctrines, particularly, particularly the Catholic doctrine. Particularly the Catholic doctrine. Uh, whatever, you know, their concept, their concept, whatever the Pope says. See, whatever the Pope says, then everybody says, and, and what the cardinals say, and what the priest says, then that's what you do. We will tell you what God accepts and, and you live accordingly. And you see, then it got that away over in some of the other churches as well. Giving definitions of righteousness. Righteousness being then what you eat or don't eat. I mean, the law said that, and Paul said we're no longer under that, but we have that same kind of law nowadays in religion. And that's what all of this is about, so we're going to have to look at this and see, well, what is it that Christ is, how, how can we see what is loosed in heaven that we may declare it acceptable in earth? 
Well, we'll look at some better translations and then we'll talk about this. But it hadn't got anything to do with you and I uh, deciding, uh, you know, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and what righteousness is and what righteousness is not. But we need to see all of this again in view of what has just been said. Upon this statement, Peter, that you have just made, this that my Father has revealed unto you concerning me, the true rock. You're a small rock. I am the true rock revealed of my Father. Oh, my Lord, hon. We could go back and look at that with Moses and the rock on Mount Zion, on Mount Sinai, rather. And then realize that we have not come to Mount Sinai, but to a greater mount than that, and that the rock to which we have come is the Son of God Himself, revealed, anointed, and declared King of the kingdom there in Mount Zion. Uh, but we're going to look at verse 19. Now, I'm just telling you that it's, but see, it, it, it should never come into the hands of men, but it has done so. And so there are many churches that will preach a righteousness that, well, you know, you can only cut your hair so short, ladies, and you can only wear this or wear that, or you can only eat this or eat that. That's true. That's true. And some of these churches are called spirit-filled churches. But they declare from the pulpit that they kind of make their heaven out of and declare to their people what, they, what is acceptable with God and what is not acceptable with God. Paul says, we preach Christ, not ourselves. We preach Christ, ourselves, your servants, for the sake of Christ. Well, we need to look at this because it is a reality. And it goes back to what I asked you a while ago and to what Jesus asked his disciples. Everything here, verse, from, from verse 15, but whom do you say that I am? right on through verse 19 has its foundation set upon whom do you say that I am? Because, hon, that'll make, that'll make the difference in everything that you declare that you first see to be acceptable in the sight of God. And everything that you will see is not acceptable in the sight of God. And it'll all come down to this. It all comes down to this. Whom do you say that I am? What is your view of Christ? Because your view of Christ, darling... 
will be your view of salvation. So I'm going to take what time is left and look at this principle in verse 16. Basically it is, who am I? Who am I? Whom do you say that I am? This, darling, in my opinion, and in the scripture, we can go way back. We, we can go all the way back to the beginning of the writings of the Old Testament. And we can certainly look at it with Adam, look at it with Abraham, right on down the line. This is the first principle of faith. Knowing who he is. Not simply knowing that he is. Oh, he is the great creator. But when Moses said, and even Abraham, but I'll, Moses, you'll recognize this. Moses said, you know, whom, whom shall I say have sent me? Because now he knew him as the great creator and the creator of all things. And God said, I am that I am. You tell them I am hath sent me. And he opened Moses' eyes to a, a name, an identity of himself. That he told Moses, by this name I was not known to those before you. Either Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Because here he has come to really what is the Moses and Israel, the type and the shadow, the promise, the prophecy of the salvation that was at that time yet to come. And that salvation has to do with a glorious relationship and union with God. See? Not just as something that He has created. Not just that. But an intimate relationship called I Am. That's the relation that he, that he spoke of to Moses. And he carried that right on through concerning Israel. Tell Pharaoh, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And that was in direct reference to and prophetic of Jesus Christ the Lord. And then it was Christ that revealed in the New Testament the real mystery of the I Am. And he set forth himself as being the I Am. No man shall come 
unto the Father. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What had he said just before that? What, what did he preface that with? I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. All of that had its great types and shadows in Israel. Oh, Lord, particularly the light and the way And now he gathers into himself the first thing that God said unto Moses concerning this relationship. I am. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that knowing him is the first principle of our faith. The exaltation of the Son by the Father is always the basis of our comprehension and acknowledgement of our union with the Father. I'm going to read that again. I just wrote it down here. Who am I? Knowing, not only, not, not knowing him by what he has done. Come on, honey. Israel knew him by what he had done. But everything that he did actually was pointing to, to, he, to who he was. And that's, how they, that's where they never knew him. How many times did he tell Moses... And, 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 he, and mentioned, you know, I did this. I raised them up. I delivered them from the, from, from, from the iron furnace. I, I parted the sea. I fed them in the wilderness. But that went on. He didn't just say that once. And he would list what I've done, what I've done, what I've done. And then he would say to Moses, but their hearts are far, far from me. And that's not the only thing he would say. He would, he would begin to say, Therefore their sacrifices will be unto me as, as nothing, as cow dung. Why? It wasn't because they didn't acknowledge what he had done. It's because they had no comprehension of who he was. No real, their whole relationship with him was based on some kind of acts, acts, of deliverances for situations they kept getting themselves into. And hon, how much is that like so many Christians today? Based on something that he's gotten me out of, based on something that he has done for me. Or it may be other things that have, you know, based on, based on a healing, based on a deliverance. But that's still not knowing him. And that isn't what he asked his disciples. He didn't say, what do you think about the healings that I have accomplished? 
What do you think about the bread and the fishes? That was pretty good, huh? Have you ever seen anything like that? See, hon, he never showed himself to them on that basis. Never did. And when he began to talk to them about that union and that union understanding which would come by the Spirit of God, he didn't base that upon anything that he had done. And it wasn't based with Peter or James or John or certainly not Paul. It wasn't based upon what he did even in and through their ministries. No, it never was. He always went back to only my father could show you this. And so Paul says when it pleased God. The very God who called, who separated me from my mother's womb. Took me right out of jewelry. Separated me. And called me by his grace. To reveal his son in me. That I might preach him. And it was upon that basis that we'll see as we get into these verses that I've just talked to you about. Particularly these verses of binding and loosing. We'll see that all of that with Paul... And it actually came down to what is Christ and what is not Christ. Not what is good and bad in the eyes of man or based upon even the law of the old covenant. No, but upon what is Christ, what is not Christ. That judgment came deep into the heart of Paul. What is Christ? What is not Christ? Who is Christ? Who is Christ not? That judgment went deep into his soul. It determined the life that he lived every day in the flesh. Not out of the flesh, not by the flesh, in, in his natural body. Every, every, every day. It determined it. And what was that determining factor? What was that judgment? How deeply did it go into his heart? Did it go beyond things and go beyond rituals? How deeply did it go into his heart? It went this deep. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh has nothing to do with who I was, what I was, the gain I had, or even the loss of it. It has only to do with not I, but Christ liveth in me. Honey, 
just in a statement that we'll look at many times. To me, that's the keys to the kingdom of heaven and living on earth as in Christ. So, we didn't, well, we got far. We got far enough. I pretty well knew we would stay with our text today, and we're not anywhere near finished with it now. Verse 16, the whole thing, the exaltation of the Son by the Father is always the basis of our comprehension and acknowledgement of our union with the Father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No man knoweth who the Son is, save the Father. And no man knoweth who the Father is, save the Son. And to he to whom the Son shall reveal him. Who do you say that I am? So let that be our question today. We're starting with verse 16. And I want you to see the real principle that's here. The principle is here is not here is not that they started not knowing who he was, not saying, no. Peter declared, but Jesus said, see in me, in my lowly body, see in me, in all that I've done, in flesh and blood, has not taught you this, has not opened this unto you, has not shown you this, but rather my Father who is in heaven. He has shown this to you, and it is this rock upon which I will build my church. Now, we will in future lessons find Paul saying to the church, because we're talking about I will build my church. And we'll find Paul saying the same thing. Not on doctrines of religion. Not on creeds that were written in the first and second centuries. And there's, there, there, that has nothing to do with when they were written. But to build anything upon the creeds of man is to set it up for the works of man and for the exaltation of man. And you cannot say that it can withstand the forces of hell. So upon this rock I will build 
Not you will build. I will build. My church. My Lord. We've been talking about, and I know I'm getting down to pretty close to zero here, but we've been talking about in some of our other lessons, I've emphasized again and again, if you'll remember, that salvation is not about me and mine, it's about him and his. Remember those things? It's about him and his. What is him and his related to throughout the epistles? His body, himself and his body. And the union that is there between himself and his body. And we're going to find that that is the surety, that is the surety, the guarantee, the security that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Our union with him. How do we know the greatness of that union? Only by knowing who he is. So I'm saying it again. It all starts off with, who am I? And hun, that's where the Spirit of the Lord begins to take those who are here. Who am I? Why? Because that's where our security is. It's in who he is. First the head and then the body. When the head is exalted, he is exalted in the body. And wherever the head is, there is his body also. Not in addition to, but as one with. Blessed be the Lamb of the living God. So, we'll continue in our next session right here in Matthew 16. It'll be easy not to lose our place. Be easy for me not to lose my place since we're going verse by verse with it. And we'll relate Everything from the epistles to the book of Revelation, to it. To what? <laughs> to, Ma- to Matthew 16. <laughs> to the verse, to, the, to, the, to what we're reading. Bless the Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you. It's good to be with you. I look forward to seeing you next time.